0: Welcome to the 7-Point Highlander cast. We are the official podcast of the 7-Point Highlander format. I'm your first host, Saab, and with me is Vance, as always. Hi, everybody. Now, this is a very special episode. It is a spoiler slash set review. I don't really know what you call it. I don't think spoiler is appropriate, since most people have already had all these cards spoiled, but at least it's a debrief on... You've probably played these cards, and you know which ones are probably exciting for you. But what we're going to talk about is a bunch of exciting cards for everyone for Core Set 2020. Uh, And to kick us off, we're just going to uh, mention that Scheming Symmetry is an extremely good card and was talked about last episode. So please go check that out. If you're coming here, tuning in to hear us wax lyrical about how good Scheming Symmetry is and how it should probably be a point... You might want to tune into last week's last fortnight's episode. We're going to uh, skip what's the point because we've got so much to talk about, so much to fit in here. And as a quick little primer, we have actually got something in the vicinity of twenty or so cards we want to discuss, plus a similar kind of number for our honourable mentions. So this is uh, a trend we've noticed in the recent maybe three to six months worth of sets. They've just been getting, a bit getting better and better, haven't
1: they? This set in particular... I mean, it's way stronger than your average core set. Like, way, way stronger. There's a number of cards in the set that feel like they are rejects from Modern Horizons. Like, <laughs> no. if you look at something like Drawn from Dreams, which we're going to talk about in a minute, they could have printed that in Modern Horizons and no one would have batted an eye. And I think mean, there's a number of other cards in the set which are uh, almost certainly... They had them in Modern Horizons and they weren't exciting enough, or they had too many cards to fill that role and so they put it into this new set and they might have made it slightly worse, but still extremely good uh let's crack in
0: why don't we talk about drawn from dreams then as our first card uh
1: so drawn from dreams costs blue blue and two you look at the top seven cards of your library put two of them into your hand and the rest on the bottom of your library in any order but the most important part here for the discussion is probably that it's a sorcery not an instant
0: it's kind of like a weird main phase impersonation of a mid-game dig through time you know those digs where you end up doing them for about four mana or so uh, and you might have quite a bit of delve in your deck, so you've ended up delving for one of those, you know, that magmatic uh, spell that deals five damage or something, and you don't have magmatic enough to insight. Away, and then your dig through time ends up costing about four. So this is kind of on par with that. The text is basically identical, uh, aside from the fact that it's a sorcery, and I think that this is probably playable in decks that want to, a large number of dig through times like if you remember those decks like uh you know in modern when dig through time was legal when it, when people the were actually window, to play, yeah. yeah it was brief but uh, i remember playing scapeshift and decks like that where you you were happy to we started off playing them and going oh i think i want another dig through time miss and and so you kind of play two of them and you go oh Maybe three Dig Through time? Is that too many? <laughs> and then bit by bit you realise you just wanted a critical mass of Dig Through times because that allowed you to combo off so consistently. It's possible that some combo decks might want to play Dwarf from Dreams.
1: I think the counterpoint is it's kind of like in some ways it's a bad Dig Through time. Uh, in other ways it's a good Ancestral Memories I think is the card I'm thinking of.
0: Yeah, the five mana one that does... Yeah, which is five mana is... and does,
1: I think, exactly the same as this, or almost exactly the same as this, <laughs> Right, and is a card that's so bad that most people listening just had to go and look it up.
0: Yeah, it was like two blue, 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 sorcery, this text, or something yeah, like that. Yeah, something very similar to that.
1: So yeah. it being a sorcery is a real drain on it for a lot of decks. Like, uh, control decks are way less interested, because they're just like, well... I'm not even always playing Factor, uh, Factor Fiction, mm. which is draws you a similar number of cards, looks at not quite as many cards, but sometimes it draws you three instead, and is an instant and is way better.
0: Yeah, um, Factor Fiction has actually seen a downturn of late since Gifts Ungiven was depointed. People were actually, you know, there's just only so many slots that you can actually put a four mana. Draw spell in, and this is instant speed. So when you look at draw from green's sorcery, I completely agree. It just might not get there for control decks, but maybe a combo deck would like to uh, like to abuse it. Uh, so going on to the next card, I'll I'll read our next one. This one is called Brought Back. It is white, white for an instant. Choose up to two target permanent cards in your graveyard that were put there from the battlefield this turn. Return them to the battlefield. what do you think about
1: this i think it's interesting there's a bunch of applications for it so if you wanted to bring back some fetch lands you could you know Play fetches on turn one and two, and then your opponent's turn. Crack them both, get white sources, and get them both back, and sort of ramp,
0: double ramp yourself. Which is That's okay. That's pretty cute. Yeah, yeah. Or, or like wasteland strip mine. You go okay. Play the wasteland strip turn one and two. Don't use them for some inexplicable reason. Then, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Play lotus pedal planes, strip and waste them, brought back them both. And then go. Oh wait a second, you don't actually have more than two lanes. <laughs> I think.
1: It's definitely the sort of card that has some applications. They're a bit hard to pin in advance exactly what those applications are. But they're not fair. Um, they're not going to be
0: fair applications. It's going to be. It's pretty unreal.
1: unlikely. I mean, I could see a situation where, in a Planeswalk heavy control deck, you might play this for a turn where you, like, crack a fetch, put one of your Planeswalkers in the bin, get them a land and the planeswalker back. Like that's not a terrible use of this card, but it is a bit narrow.
0: Yeah, yeah, I can see that. So very, very specific fair applications that are probably not going to come up consistently enough to actually warrant it having a main deck slot. But in combo decks I can see it. You know, Second Sunrise? Second Sunrise is pretty sweet for these kind of eggs-based combo decks. Uh this is a very, very specific Second Sunrise though. It's it's you know it's cheaper but they have to, it's only going to get two of them.
1: So, and they come into play tapped is the real problem. Yeah,
0: the, the tapped thing is, oh, that's that's really painful. Because obviously,
1: obviously if they came into play untapped, you'd just be like, uh, you know, I'm going to crack uh, my egg and my black lotus, and then I'm going to get them both back and just generate <laughs> mana and advantage. And- so yeah, it
0: might pop up. What's the next card that we have? Spectral
1: about? Sailor is the next card. So it's a one mana 1-1 one, one with flying uh, it's mm-hmm. also got flash and it's got blue and three colon drawer card
0: so what do you think yeah i, I actually have seen this pop up on arena quite a bit and i i kind of laughed at it when it first came up and then and and then went oh hang on there's just a certain you know level of you know in the standard there's a certain critical mass of one drop uh flyers that they can put curious obsession on in highlander a one mana, one, one flying with flash is not going to do it. So, its selling point has to be the draw a card aspect. And for Highlander, four mana to draw a card is just not quite good enough.
1: I don't know. I think the combination of abilities might be interesting to some decks. So, there's a, like, if you're playing a blue, uh, or maybe blue, white tempo sort of deck, this does do a number of things that you're interested in doing. It doesn't do any of them terribly well. Could be a thing.
0: Yeah. I Someone's probably going to brew with it. They're going to make some blue, white. Skies deck that we've never seen before, and they can't. They play that new card that's like, a, you know, a two mana draw two if you control a flying creature, and you know they'll, they'll chuck all these things together. They'll put the winds thing in that gives all flyers plus plus one, Total and they'll wins. surprise us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs>
1: all right. So the next one is Mu Yan Ling, a Sky Dancer. She's a planeswalker. She's three mana. So uh, two blue and one uh, starts with two loyalty, and her abilities are as follows: plus two. Until your next turn, up to one target creature gets minus two, minus zero, and loses flying. Minus three, uh, create an error elemental. Minus eight, you get an emblem with islands you control have tap, draw a
0: card. So, <laughs> an emblem that wins you the game basically straight away. Uh, who would have thought it? Anyway, the <laughs> yeah, <I> mean, <laughs> it doesn't win actual... the game straight away, but it's pretty
1: hard to imagine losing unless you're already screwed. Yeah, yeah, for sure.
0: Let's let's evaluate the actual things that are going to come up, which is <laughs> plus two and minus three. Uh, so I think when I when I first saw the card, I thought to myself, ah, yeah, that's probably not Highlander playable. And then the more I thought about it, I think the best parallel is an also not Highlander playable card, and that is Jace Swalbro. The, he's he's got his shirt off and he's oh, standing yeah, on the yeah, on the deck, yeah. you know, and cunning castaway. Yeah, that's, that's the guy. Uh, and he's got a very, very similar kind of setup. He's a you know three mana, so he comes down quite early. He wants to be in a, uh, for him specifically, he wants to be in this kind of tempo-esque shell, whereas uh, Mu Ling, her first ability does what that Jace cannot, which is protect herself to some degree. Uh, her second ability does what that Jace cannot, uh, uh, does to some degree, which is create the creature, but the creature is more impactful but can't come down the turning player. So yeah. it's kind of comparable in, in some ways there. And although that Jace has been largely unplayable, I think this uh, this version of that kind of a walker is a little bit closer to Highlander playable.
1: Yeah, I, I think she is very close. Like, I'm not mm. not sure she gets there, but I think she's very close. Um, if the board's anything remotely close to stable, uh, she's impossible to attack into. Like, because you, you just make their biggest creature or their flying creature unable to do it, and if the board is vaguely stable before that, like, it's probably very difficult to kill her without losing a pile of creatures um, to battle. Yeah, boards. that's fair. Yeah,
0: that's um, definitely fair. I think... Um... The... Making
1: an air elemental on the second turn is pretty solid, and you don't actually have to have her hang around for that long to get to the ultimate. Like I think the ultimate is a going concern here because, <clears throat> again, if the board's remotely stable, you plus her a couple of times, and then your opponent's got a killer immediately, or mm, or they just and dead.
0: we'll have a hard time doing that, right? And we'll have
1: a hard time doing that. Yeah, that's right. it's, so, it's got the
0: first yeah. the first ability is kind of like that the flipped Jace. So there's quite a few kind of Jace yeah, yeah, things yeah. going on, and, and as we yeah. know, that flipped Jace minus uh, minus two minus zero it's effect really is really annoying. Good. It. Yeah. <laughs> like it it doesn't just like
1: oh, one of my creatures loses two power, whatever. It, it's surprisingly hard if your opponent's playing a controlling sort of deck. It's surprisingly hard to get good attacks in because they're like shrink that, kill that, you know, block that, whatever. It's yeah, it's very easy to keep that around. What's our next one? Cool.
0: All right, next up we have Knight of the Edmund Legion, yet another card that's been popping up in Arena quite a bit Uh, for Vampire Tribal. It's one black for a one-two Vampire Knight. Yeah, yeah. So Vampire Knight, hey, they're two tribes that people probably want to try and make work in Highlander. Uh, <laughs> so the, the main thing is that for three mana, uh, two and a black, Knight of the Evan Legion gets plus three, plus three, it gains death touch until end of turn. Usually the death touch is not going to be relevant, but look, it's going to become a four, five, a one mana potential four, five uh, for that particular turn. And then although it shrinks down at the end of the turn, at the beginning of your end step, if a player lost four or more life, which conveniently this this guy does when it hits your opponent, put a plus one, plus one counter on it. So I think this is pretty exciting. What well, What do you think? I think it's got a lot of potential um i'm not sure
1: how it goes so the most obvious deck for this is is the red black uh neiman's sort of aggro deck um it's starting with one power is kind of a drawback there yeah um but if you can get it rolling like if you can get it to connect even if you can get it to get its ability even once it's great um also, interestingly, although it has to be on your turn that it happens, it doesn't care which player lost the life. So mm-hmm. if you have Necropotence in play, you can just pay four, and he'll get a counter at the end of turn. You're um,
0: love it. And uh, a Danto Vanguard uh, has <laughs> yeah. seen some degree of play in Highlander, yep. so uh, that's perfect. Yeah, you know, just do it. Uh, indestructible, sure. Make this guy come down as a one, minus two, three. That's that's yeah. fine.
1: So, I think it's got a lot of potential. And next one, I also think has a lot of potential, but I think there's uh, possibly some disagreement on this mm, one.
0: Mm, here's our discussion.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, Embodiment of Agonies, it's one black black for a zero zero with flying and death touch. It enters the battlefield with a plus one plus one counter for each different mana cost amongst non land cards in your graveyard. So, <laughs> uh, a brainstorm is a blue, ponder is also a single blue but uh, Counterspell and mana leak are different costs because one's double blue and one's a blue and one, let's say.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I feel your pain. It's ex- exquisite having to calculate how big this guy is. <laughs> Luckily, uh, you only have to do it once. Uh, yeah, true. So it, it comes it doesn't... in with that and that's static. Right,
1: yeah, yeah, it's, right it's right. not like Tamagoyf where it you know constantly shrinks and grows. If it did, it would probably be incredible. As it <laughs> is, I think it's merely very good.
0: Yeah, so uh, we've had some disagreement about this and this is our opportunity to discuss that because we just kind of basically put in the notes uh, I, I disagree, and that's it. So, yeah. so, so so
1: my my point of view is on turn three, this card's probably going to be a 2-2 two, two flying death touch, which is not very good but it's a not a terrible fail state. Um, you know, as long as... In, in a uh, tempo-y controlling sort of deck it's relatively easy to get to that. But... Where it really shines is when you draw it in the mid to late game. So you draw this on, let's say, turn 5 or 6 or turn 4 or 5. It's not hard to imagine this is a like 4-4 four, four or a 5-5 five, five or a bigger flying death touch. Um, at which point it's, it's a real serious beta. Like, I, th- I think this is comparable to Tombstalker. I think it's worse early and better late.
0: Yeah, uh, so when, when I saw the card... The, my immediate assumption looking at its minor cost was, okay, so this is going to fit into one of those black-based uh, rangey aggro decks that don't generate any advantage when it comes to the play, so it has to be in a kind of aggro deck, but it's too high on the curve. And you know how many we've seen? We've just seen so many pushed three and four drops for black. Uh so that was my initial evaluation. I went, well, I don't ever want to cast this on turn three and turn four because it's always going to be a 2-2. And uh, because of that, I basically wrote it off and just went, this is just unplayable. Uh, then when you mentioned, okay, this could be Tombstalker in a way, uh, looking at when Tombstalker comes down, basically you often play Tombstalker later in the game, You know, this kind of turn five, turn six, for a two black, and delve away your whole graveyard and make a big flying gurmag angler. Uh, the, this guy's always going to cost three, whereas Tombstalker will often cost two, sometimes three, sometimes four-ish. Uh, he's probably going to come down as a four, four, or five five flying, which is entirely comparable. But I guess in the very, very late game, assuming no graveyard shenanigans have gone on, which is always the bane of both Tomb Stalker and Embodiment of Agonises, uh, you know, just in general, uh, he's probably going to end up being a seven-seven-eight-eight or some massive, massive guy. Uh, on that evaluation, I can see it slotting into an additional Tomb Stalker-type slot in a blue-black tempo or blue-black control type of deck. Uh, So in in that instance, maybe it is good. Uh, There's some things like, uh, you know, Abrupt Decay kills this, which is frustrating. Uh, Death Touch is almost entirely irrelevant. Um, But... It does also count
1: uh, Dig Through Time and Treasure Cruise and those sorts of cards as being their high cost, not
0: what you actually paid for them, which is, you know, kind of funky. Um, Good, yeah. Fair point, fair point. And also you don't have to play Mental Note and Thought Scour in your deck, which... Most of the time, with the blue-black control and even Brix's control and so on, they're they're, just, they're going okay. So I can play Tassiger and one of Gurmag Angler or Dig Through Time. Which one do I play? And then I choose, you know, the Dig Through Time, and you go, okay, well, I can't afford Germa Angler in this deck until unless I play both of these two self milling cards. Which you know, fundamentally, they're not good cards. No one will ever say it's a good card, but it's kind of a part of the deck that is needed to make a tick and. Yeah, okay, yeah, I can afford my third delve spell now. So, yeah, I, that not being a cost is a good thing, I think. So, let's look at our next big boy. So, our next big boy is rotting Regisaur, 3 mana, 2 and a black, for a 7/6 at the beginning of your upkeep, discard a card. So, please tell me what you think about this zombie dinosaur.
1: I think it's got a huge amount of potential. So, the first thing to note is that um, it's just at the beginning of your upkeep, discard a card, full stop. There's no penalty if you can't. So if, if you're hellbent, who cares? Um, yeah, why no is this bad?
0: not, you know, some Lord of the Pit where if you could not, it deals 7 damage to you and kills your family? <laughs> you know, like... Because <laughs> they, they didn't want to suck.
1: Um, <laughs> they didn't want it to be... So a 3-7-6 <laughs> is giant. Like, uh, Tamagoi costs 2, is great, and is rarely going to be much bigger than a 5-6. Like 5-6 mm. Tarmogoyves are sort of, you know, pretty beefy boys. So 7-6 is huge. Um, so it's got a lot of potential in aggressive black decks if they want this sort of thing for a... Yeah, excuse me. It's got a lot of potential in aggressive black decks if they want this sort of thing for a... Th- uh, if they want a three-drop of this kind. Um, it's also potentially okay in reanimator strategies because it just lets you discard your fatties to it. Yeah. Um, mm. And gives you a B plan of just, you know, smacking about them about the face with a uh, zombie dinosaur, which is also a fantastic type line. Um, <laughs> yeah, look, I think the interesting question, uh, which you sort of said in the notes, is how big does a vanilla an essentially vanilla creature need to be at three mana to be good enough? Uh, mm. I think seven six is across that line. Like, I think a three mana five six you would probably pretty excitedly play. Um,
0: yeah. Certainly it's a really six, interesting six. threshold, isn't it? Where you kind of yeah. go... You know, Tarmogoyf sees play in, say, Value Junk. Value Junk is designed to be two-for-ones so and just grinding out maximum value in a mid-range deck. And sometimes people just go, I just want to play Tarmogoyf in this because I just want that I just want bash level. people. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Even though it just goes completely against the entire identity of a value deck. And that happens in... You know, in Jund, in Modern, these types of formats, they'll go, well, yeah, I'll play a couple of times both just because, hey, I'm just going to attack with a big boy. The discard is a
1: medium-sized drawback. Like, I wouldn't want to play this in a control deck or a mid-range deck particularly, although there might be times when you transform out of the sideboard and just go, ha-ha, suckers! Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So our next cards are a category of cards. Yeah. Um... So we'll read all three out and then we'll discuss them all at once, I think is the plan.
0: Yeah, I think that they're, they kind of fit a very, very similar role and it's just kind of how would you like to beat up on control?
1: <laughs> yeah, I think, I think two of these are definitely playable. One of them I'm less convinced by. I'll start with the one I'm less convinced by. Mm-hmm. Um, thought Distortion is four black black. This spell can't be counted. Uh, target opponent reveals their hand. Exile all non-creature, non-land cards from that player's hand and graveyard. Um, okay, cool. Yep. Uh, Shifting Ceratops, two green green. This spell can't be counted. Pro blue. Five four. Uh, spend a green and it gains Reach, Trample, or Haste until end of turn. And finally, mm-hmm. Chandra Awakened Inferno for four and red red. Can't be counted uh, as per our theme. Starts with six loyalty, which is an important number to remember, which we'll get back to. Um, so plus two. Each opponent gains an emblem with uh, at the beginning of your upkeep, take one minus three. Deal three to all non-elemental creatures, mm-hmm. and minus X. Deal X damage to target creature or planeswalker. Uh, and it's a disintegrate, so if it dies, exile. It.
0: Um, yeah, so it's a it's a really it's a loose category, but basically it's largely for some reason the theme of Core Twenty Twenty, which I guess is just resonating with Chandras. Uh, kind of persona, <laughs> which is, hey, you can't burn count on things. my stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and then burn the things. So, yeah. well, look, thought distortion is kind of like a mind twist in a way. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, um, and it's much it's...
1: worse against some control decks mm. because although you want to get rid of their counter spells, if they're at the sort of more mid range end of control, the key things to get rid of, the, the things you most want to get rid of, might be you know their true name nemesis or similar
0: hmm, yeah and then the, you have the uh, the Chandra itself which kind of sets you up with this uh, situation where the control deck goes, oh yep, I've passed the turn, I've got my cryptic command up, do whatever you want, and you go, Chandra Awakened Inferno, and they kind of knee-jerk reaction to counter it, and nope, you're going to now have an emblem that emblem's going to stick around, it doesn't matter if you go to your turn and you dreadball this, it's going to be around, and you're going to be losing a life turn, and that's a really, really big big cost for a control deck
1: and if you don't have Dreadbore or Equivalent, like you can't just make it leave the battlefield, um, killing it on the following turn is hard. So as I said, starts with six loyalty, goes up to eight. Uh, in the sorts of decks that they're going to play this, there's a pretty high likelihood that they're going to have one or two creatures in play. Mm. And you've just got to commit so many resources to dealing this eight in a single turn. So, you know, you're probably going to end up with two, maybe three of these emblems, uh, at which point your life, you're just getting bolted every upkeep and the game can't possibly have long to go.
0: Makes sense. So the the uh, thing that it's kind of parking back to is, do you remember that card... That says, you know, this land burns like, every time. They <laughs> the do this, land continues to burn. The, the land continues to yeah. burn. That's the one. <laughs> it's so yeah. awesome. Uh, yeah. But yeah, you've got this thing that this, your opponent continues to burn. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And,
1: and these other two abilities are both really good. Like the minus three defends Chandra really well against a lot of decks. Like it just sweeps away little creatures. Um, and the minus X kills most planeswalkers. Like. There's going to be a lot of situations where your opponent's sitting behind a, a Jace or a Teferi or whatever, and you cast this, and it just dies, and then they have to deal with Chandra.
0: So tell me what you think about the shifting Ceratops because I was a bit dubious about it when I saw I it listed. Really hey, good. this is this is, this ain't no Thrun.
1: Uh, it's not a Thrun. It's filling a slightly different role. So it can't be counted as, you know, obviously gravy text. Um, it's great against control decks because they can't do one of the things they want to do. Um, it is more vulnerable to removal than Thrun. Um, like, so much more vulnerable to removal in multiple different ways. Um, <laughs> but it's harder to block, so they can't just put a true name in front of this, which is often what happens to Thrun when he wants to attack. Again, it, it will often come into play and kill a planeswalker. Um... And then just be a reasonably beefy threat that is hard to block. Like, you can't put um, any kind of, you know, to- uh, bit of blossom tokens or whatever's in front of it because it's just going to trample mm-hmm. over the top of them. Um, yeah, look, a fairly large portion of the time it's going to come down, deal five, and then they're going to doom blade or equivalent. Um, but that's fine. Like, I think it does a reasonably good job of doing the sorts of things you want to do. Um, and it's also a Triceratops, which is cool in and of itself.
0: Yeah, for sure. I, I think that not comparing it to Thrun is probably the most the, the most accurate way to do this because people look at it... I immediately looked at it and went, oh, this isn't a Thrun because it doesn't actually protect itself from the removal spells that are relevant. It's actually a completely different role. The, the can't be counted yeah. is not where you're it in. It's really about the... Um, hey, haste, kill your Planeswalker, or, you know, reach, block that thing I can't otherwise block. Trample, get me yeah. after the boss tokens or
1: true name. I think the I big like difference it. between this and Thrun is this card is much more main deckable uh, yep. than Thrun. Thrun you really only want against dedicated control decks, whereas this does quite a fine job against other aggressive and mid-range decks because, um, you know, the, the haste and the trample just mean that it's very hard to stop it getting its damage through. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, I uh, I think it's I think it's a real good card.
0: Well speaking about getting damage through, how about we talk about Leyline of Red, aka Combustion? So Leyline of Combustion is four minor, like almost all these ley lines, two and double red. Enchantment's got the Leyline text, so you can begin the game with it if it's in your hand. And the text is <coughs> whenever you and or at least one permanent you control becomes a target of a spell or ability an opponent controls, Ley Line of Combustion deals two damage to that player. What do you think?
1: Well, they finally printed a good red Ley Line. Um, <laughs> took them enough attempts. <laughs> um, there are plenty of times where you would side this in. Uh, it's good against, remo- if you're you know, a creature's deck... It's good against removal-heavy control decks, um, mm-hmm. because every time they kill one of your creatures, you get to shock them, which is exactly what you know reasonably aggressive uh, decks want to do. Um, it's not great if you've got to pay four for it, but it's not the worst. Mm-hmm. Like, um, it's not like some of the ley lines where if you don't have it in your opening hand, you're just like, well, I might not, I might as well not have this card at all because I never want to pay four for it. It it is good, or you probably shouldn't break it in. But maybe if it's the only thing in on your sideboard, it is good against uh, storm, because you know again, it's one of those problems where if they're trying to um, tendrils you out, unless you're on less life than them, um, this is going to kill them first.
0: Yep, makes sense. So,
1: so it's pretty like, cool. It's, like it's it. not amazing, but it's
0: yeah, it's good. And, and you're almost at the point where you can play the Monolay line
1: step in the <laughs> <laughs> Next card is another Chandra, because there's three in this set. Um, we're only talking about two of them. Um, Chandra, Acolyte of Flame. So one red red, four loyalty, uh, three ability Planeswalker. So her first two abilities are zeros. So the first one is zero, put a loyalty counter on each red Planeswalker you control. Her next zero is create two one one red elemental creature tokens. They have haste and die of turn, And minus two... You can cast an instant or sorcery with converted mana cost three or less from your graveyard, exile it in any turn. So like snap caster for three or less.
0: And you can do that twice, basically, and let her die, is right? Yeah. I uh, I'm I'm pretty keen on that last ability. I think having red planeswalkers that do damage to your opponent is great, and in this way she can just kind of summon two elementals that you know essentially say deal two damage to your opponent unless they've got some kind of, you know, sweet blockers that sit there. Uh, so we're really looking at that last line of text and I would play this in a uh, you know, in a, in any kind of tempo deck where you're say blue red tempo or a blue red shell and you've got ancestral recall and time walk in your deck and you've got Chandra to sit there and be a zero mana snap custom agent impersonation and just go, Yeah, I'll I'll just flashback um, flash back an A call, flashback a time walk, or on the fairest of the fair, just flashback a chain lightning and Claw. You do still have to pay for it. Yeah, yeah, I think it's fine because you're almost always going to be flashing back a one and two mana spell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's yeah. very few times you're flashing back a three mana spell in the types of decks she's going to go in. So you're not going to, say, play her on turn six and have six mana because you flood it out. It's very unlikely you're probably going to be flashing back a one drop or two drop, um, which which I think is, is good.
1: I also think that her first ability, uh, putting a loyalty counter on all your Red Planeswalkers, in some board states is going to be terrifying, like if you've got um, Chandra Torture Defiance is the best possible example because that ultimate just ends the game um, so helping yeah. tick up to that is really good it also pseudo-defends your Red Planeswalkers because they've all got slightly more toughness and for yeah, a 3-mana Planeswalker yeah. I think that's that's very good.
0: My comparison for that last ability uh, would be Goblin Darkwilers I've I've experimented with Willers yeah. a lot with uh, Time Walk and uh, Aekul and usually a pod, but uh, having to choose one of those two power cards, you know, go, okay, time walk and then put the pod there. Uh, it's paying five mana for a something and then three cards, or something and an extra turn is pretty exciting, but it's never quite been good enough. Everything that I've tried and, and trying to jam a pod into making an eight point deck is very hard. Um, yeah. But this, coming down that extra turn early is is pretty cool, I think. so. That, coupled with what you said, I think it makes it playable. So let's have a look yeah. at the next card. This one's really exciting, I think. Elvish Reclaimer. One green mana for a 1-2. Elvish Reclaimer gets plus 2, plus 2, as long as there are three or more land cards in your graveyard, which is relatively easy to do. So uh, the main text is the last part. To tap, sacrifice a land... Search your library for a land card and put it onto the battlefield, tapped And chopping library. What do you think? Uh,
1: I like to call this card Cord Ape because it's kind of like a cross between Knight of Reliquy and Curd Ape, but that's <laughs> probably just me. I think this card's really good. So. Uh, I think it's good in aggressive decks because having three lands in your graveyard is trivial and then it's a 1-mana 3-4, which is, I hear, pretty good. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, certainly, you know, well past the would-I-play-this-for-1-mana-if-it-was-just-a-thing test. Like, miles past. Um, Mm -hmm. And the fact that it searches up any land is, uh, I mean, actually kind of upsetting to me because I hate Dark Depths as a card, but... Really good in the decks that want to play cards like Dark Depths, or even if you're just mm. playing like Strip Mines and Wastelands and whatever. It just you know fixes your mana if you really really need it to. It fetches up your special lands, um, you know, sets up all of your stupid land-based combos. It's great. Yeah, it's really, it's really really strong.
0: Yeah, straight into those kind of uh, mid-rangey value green-based lands decks. You know, bug lands and junk and all those good stuff. So anytime time you got a tutor, it's generally really good. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, so, so next the next one
0: is Nightpack Ambusher. So it's two
1: and two green, so four mana, four or four, four. It has flash. It's a wolf and werewolf lord, so other wolves and werewolves you can get plus one, plus one. And at the end of your turn, if you didn't cast a spell this turn, make a two, two.
0: So yeah, I think this is just generally a pushed example of uh, these kind of four drops that leave something behind after they go. So Garrett Relentless is a good comparison. Garrett Relentless comes down, he makes a 2-2 wolf, your opponent bolts him, you have that wolf, and you just kind of came up on that trade. But then there's the upside of if they don't have the bolt, you just kind of run away with the game. I think this is a similar thing, whereas uh, the difference is that you spend the 4-miner at the end of their turn, and then you untap the 7-power. And uh well you yeah, untap seven power, but you basically from the following turn you have that seven power and then they finally remove it. You've still got that wolf, but the flash part was the key because you were able to play around things. You can also flash it in and block a curdate. So Yeah, I you're often gonna be able fine. to eat a
1: creature with this.
0: Mm, yeah, it seems fine. Uh next card uh, up we have I think is... sorry,
1: just just before we go on, the other thing that's worth mentioning on this is there are actually quite a lot of highly playable wolves and werewolves or cards that generate wolves. Um, so that plus one, plus one it is not that hard to get other advantages
0: out of. Next one is not a wolf. It's Barkhide Troll. This one probably doesn't have much to talk about. It is a two mana, so green, green, for a two, two that comes into play with the plus one, plus one counter. So it comes into play as a three, three. You can remove that counter any time later on with one mana investment, and Barkhide Troll gains Hexproof under end of turn. So it's a cool little um, you know, aggro tool that comes in and can't be targeted until well, you really, really, you know...
1: Yeah, why. I think this is a good example of a card that passes uh, my Watchwolf test in mm-hmm. that it's got the stats of Watchwolf with a bit of upside, so it's probably worth looking at.
0: Yeah, oh, I'll put that down there on the list. Uh, yep. Let's go to a more interesting card. Kethus. Kethus, the oh, Hidden boy. Man. <laughs> this this is... card
1: has some text.
0: Yeah. Um, it's got casting cost junk. So yep, uh, white, black, green, green, black, white. Yeah, for a 3-4, legendary spells cost one less to cast. Okay, sure. No problems. But then in addition, <laughs> exile two legendary cards from your graveyard. Hold on. Until end of turn, each legendary card in your graveyard gains, you may play this card from your graveyard. What do you think? <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's kind of like Yogmoth's buddy's will, um, <laughs> and it's maybe fun, it's will well, is, because it's an
0: elf advisor.
1: Maybe Yogmoth's will is what he's reading in the, in, is what he's drawing on in the uh, in the art. <laughs> um, I think this card is probably good. Like, it's a little bit hard to to work out. It makes planeswalkers cheaper these days, which is definitely an upside, unless you recast them. Um, if you're playing something like the um aggro legendaries deck uh there's potential that you might want to play this so that late in the game you can just go all right you've killed a bunch of my you know little legendary critters i'll cast this exile two of them recast two or three more i think it's weird and interesting
0: yeah i I assume it just goes straight into Jane holland's legendary deck yeah yeah it's gonna go in there and we're just gonna see see it become a york moss at the end of the game yep sure why not how about the next legend? And next legend is Kaikar
1: Winds Fury. Uh, so Kaikar is one blue-red-white. It's a legendary bird wizard, which is in the middle of doing a Hadouken in the army. <laughs> <clears throat> and it's a 3-3. Uh, it's flying, and whenever you cast a non-creature spell, create a 1-1 one, one white spirit creature taken with flying. Mm. And as an added side bonus, you can sacrifice a spirit to get one red mana.
0: Yeah, this is just basically... Critical mass or close to critical mass for the uh, Jeskai prowess type decks, and these are the these are the kind of decks that uh, one of one of the SA locals, Rick Borgas has been playing for yonks. I think it was the first Highlander deck he ever played, and he just keeps playing it and tweaking it. And this is the kind of deck where it's just full of cards that are not good, you know, like Manamorphose. Okay, look, Manamorphose is a good card, but in the deck that it's going in, which is a deck with, say, Monastery Mentor and so on, you're kind of going, yeah, it's just another cantrip. But it has such a high level of these cantrips, it just wants enough payoff cards. And his deck was running things like uh, you know, Young Pyromancer, you know, all the usual suspects uh, in the Jeskai Colours. But it always seemed to be kind of one payoff card off being good because... They would just spin their wheels, is going yeah, metamorphose into these other cantrips, into more cantrips. Oh, I didn't find anything. Pass a turn, and you're like, okay, sure, I'll just play a good card like cast or something. Yeah. Um, I so think I think it might just have one
1: enough. mana too expensive to be good. I think you really want your token creating payoffs to be two or three mana because otherwise it's really hard to get to the point where you can cast one and then chain two or three spells, but I'd be happy to be proven wrong.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think the one selling point for that extra mana is flying. When when the tokens have flying, tokens are actually terrifying. When when the tokens are just 1-1 one, one Pyromancer tokens, you figure out ways to kind of block them on the ground or slow the game down, but then when they're flying, it's really, really, really hard to get um, get through or to survive. So. Um, yeah, I think, it, I think it's got potential there. So, next cu- card up, we have Golos, Tireless Pilgrim. So, he is a 5-mana artifact creature legendary scout for a 3-5. <laughs> and he has a large amount of irrelevant text. I'll talk about the relevant text, though. The most important part I don't think is. it's as
1: irrelevant as you think, but go on.
0: Yeah, well, <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> so... Uh, when Golos Tyler's Pilgrim enters the battlefield, you may search your library for a land card, any land card, put that onto the battlefield, tapped, shuffle library. Then the more the harder to jump through hoops are two and wooberg, so seven mana, hold Exile the top three cards of your library. You may play them this turn without paying their mana costs. So where are you excited to play this?
1: I think there's a card that has Huge amount of potential. So, obviously, being able to fetch any land you want is incredible, as we discussed previously. Um, I think this probably doesn't go in the lands decks, because uh, it's a little bit more than they want to pay, but there's probably some control decks which have, uh, like, you know, where, where this is a perfectly reasonable late game blocker slash minor card advantage slash whatever um, th- that lets them fetch up their special lands. And I think you're not paying the seven mana cost very often. But I can imagine someone, you know, brewing some crazy brew where they do this, and it, you know, usually wins the game, if you manage We're to act better. I'm looking it. forward to seeing
0: the, the Golos brews. If you, if you find one, please send it to us so we can chat about how the sweet plays you've made with that. I just imagine that. Oh, it's going to be so sweet. Uh, what do we have next to talk about?
1: Our last one before we uh, mostly rush through the honourable mentions, because we've already been going for 40 minutes, um, is Mystic Forge, uh, or Mystic Pizza Oven, as some people have dubbed it. Um, <laughs> That's so good. <laughs> so it's a 4 mana artifact. You can look at the top card of your library anytime. If it's an artifact or a colorless non-land card, you can cast it and tap pay one life, exile the top card of your library.
0: I'm really excited about this card, just in general. I think that uh, I've tried to jam Experimental Frenzy into... Decks like Recycle and, uh, you know, finding finding places where you can put it in these low mana cost decks. But they often, you know, the, the Frenzy itself doesn't often fit in every combo deck because you can't play cards in your hand. And the time it takes you to destroy it, oftentimes your opponent has set themselves up to, to uh, you know, not make you win with that 10 because it's been stranded in your hand. But I think the Mystic Forge uh, uh, upside of not having that can't play cards in your hand versus the downside of the fact that it has to be basically a, a colourless card, uh, it's, it's disproportionate. I think that this goes straight into Affinity. So there have been Affinity brews going around where they just run as many of those one-drop and two-drop artefact creatures and they run, you know, the uh, Steel Overseer, that kind of stuff, like traditional Affinity. And this is pretty much just a slam dunk into that, that kind of deck. It's a, it's a disgusting-looking future sight for uh, colourless. The other massive advantage is that uh, stopping yourself from just uh, hitting a brick wall and being able to just tap it and exile that top card when you need to is a difference between basically fizzling or stopping and passing the turn and then getting completely destroyed by some artifact destruction, a Shatterstorm part of it. And winning the game on the spot, so uh, I'm really excited to see it in uh, in affinity as well as um, like Bolus's Citadel type brews.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, I um, actually am going to promote one of these things we're going to talk about in honorable mentions back into the proper cards because um, okay, I think it's actually one of the best cards in the set for Highlander. Um, so it comes in for a sake. group. Um, that that group is five cards that all do something to your enemy colors. Now, one of these is. Uh, I don't know, something, something, stupid white card, which is garbage and worse than Celestial Purge, unless yeah, you're really, really desperate bad. for a scry. <laughs> um, so I'm going the to go through playable. three of them, um, and the then we'll playable. talk more about the fourth yeah. one. So Aether Gust is blue and one, choose target, spell or permanent that's red or green, its owner puts it on the top or bottom of their library. Decent. Uh, Fry is, as well as one of our favourite judges, uh, it's a red and one. <laughs> this spell can't be counted, and it deals five damage to target... Creature or Planeswalker that's white or blue. I think I'll probably put that in some sideboards. Noxious Grasp is a black and one. Destroy, target, Creature or Planeswalker that's green or white. You gain one life. These are all instants, by the way. Um, It's part of the problem with the white one is that it's a sorcery for some uh, Mm. weird reason. And sorry, you gain one life off Noxious uh, Grasp. So it's not as good as Deathmark against creatures, probably, but it's slightly better, right, slightly more flexible, but, you know, whatever. Um,
0: Don't you think gain one life is weird? is it game yeah. one life that just looks weird it should be game two life right
1: it's it's just such one. it's just such <laughs> trinket text that has nothing to do with the rest of the card um, yeah it's weird so vale before summer. you talk
0: about Veil vale of summer just a quick summary is that all three of these cards are basically uh, slightly better or slightly different versions like sideways better of other cards like it's either yeah. gust is uh, flash Freeze comparison and I've played Flash Freeze a lot in Highlander because I think Flash Freeze hitting is really good. It's really annoying. Really good. Um, Fry is, you know, just that upgrade on Combust which hasn't really been playable before but maybe it is now. And yeah, as you said, mentioned, Noxious Grasp and Deathmark are buddies there. But yeah, this this one, Veil vale of Summer. And
1: Veil vale of Summer is uh, an upgrade on Veil vale of Autumn or but summer. it's quite an upgrade. Um, unlike the Month of Summer which is not as good as the Month of Autumn but... <laughs> So, it's one green for an instant. First line of text is, draw a card if your opponent has cast a blue or black spell this turn. Okay. Spells you control can't be counted this turn. Alright. You and permanents you control gain hexproof from blue and from black until end of turn. This just does so much, and it does it all really well. Um, Mm. So, first off, where you mostly want to use this is you uh, cast some spell and you have a mana up. So you cast... I'm casting Chandra, Torture of Defiance. My control opponent goes, I would really rather that not happen. Uh, I will counter it. Uh, mm-hmm. Then I get to cast Veil of Summer. They don't get to counter my Chandra. And because they were foolish enough to cast a blue or black spell, I get to draw a card. Like, that's fantastic. Oh, yeah. The other place that's going to see a huge amount of play is... Um, as basically a silence variant in combo decks. So yep. if I'm playing Storm or Channel or whatever, um, I can at the start of my turn go, Veil of Summer. My control opponent now has to counter it, or they just can't counter anything else. Um, and if they counter it, I can just go, Fair enough, I'm just not going to go off this turn. Or I'll decide that you probably don't have another one, and I'll go off this turn. Like, it gives you a huge amount of information, and again, you can obviously try and get them by doing things like, oh, I'm going to cast, you know, this dark ritual or the card channel. And if they don't counter it, then great, you've probably won the game. And if they do counter it, you again just go, oh no, draw a card. Uh, No counters for you. Yeah, I
0: love it. Cards, cards, insane. I've been very, very happy with you know, veil of autumn and the like, and. Combo decks, but this is just so good. Oh, this is several <laughs> so steps. Up. Good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is Highlander, um, Highlander staple for combo decks, and uh, even some, you know, situationally some, some you know mid range aggro type decks as
1: well. Oh, I, I, I would definitely play this in most green mid range decks. Aggro decks are less willing to spend the card on this sort of thing, but uh, yeah, yeah,
0: makes sense. All right, um, all right. So honorable mentions, we're going to power I'll, through, I'll a bunch through these. Yeah, um, I'll, uh, so I'll do Apostle- this one—the color, the color critters one. Uh, okay. So I just lump these two together, which are Apostle of Purifying Light, which is basically a uh, hate bear, protection from black, and exiles cards from graveyards with some mana cost, and Cerulean Drake. Yeah, uh, very main deckable, right? And Cerulean Drake, which is a one-one flying for two, and it has protection from red. And the key part here is it's a blue creature. So it fits into blue decks and it allows you to counter a spell that targets you. Uh, I think that the blue card is a really, really good role player in Highlander because a lot of the time blue decks just don't have the ability, if you don't have you know, access to white, to be able to shore up your burn uh, or your tempo matchup. The drake fits in nicely. So um, I'll push on through. Um, yeah, Hanged
1: through. Executioner. It's uh, a white and two for a 1-1 that comes with another 1-1 spirit. They both got flying. Uh, so, a little bit front half of Lingering Souls, and then White and Three, Exile, Hanged Executioner, Exile, Target, Creature. Seems very strong. Enchantress decks might like the following if Enchantress was a real deck, which maybe it is. Uh, so, it's a White it's and fringy. One. It's very fringy. Uh, white and One, enchantment spells cost one less. Uh, whenever an enchantment goes into a graveyard, you buff the Starfield Mystic, and it's a 2 2. I don't know.
0: Basically, you know. the the selling point or the reverse selling point is that enchantress decks don't really care much about reducing the cost because they're already paying. You know, one mana yeah. enchantments like grass, lot of the long grass, elephant, elephant grass, grass and stuff. Yeah. You know,
1: so. um, this one I imagine has your attention. It's five and two blue <laughs> for a two three uh, that you never intend to pay mana for. When agent of Tetri- treachery enters the battlefield, gain control of target permanent. Um, at the beginning of your end step, if you draw. If you control three or more cards you don't own, uh, draw three cards. Probably never going to happen. The last line of
0: text is just trinket text. For me, I'm just going to sneak attack this scene you know, at instant speed and grab something. You know, your opponent's going to play something sweet and you're going to go, oh, sneak attack, agent Treachery, and just grab that. And they go, oh, yeah, end of turn, I get it back. No, you don't.
1: <laughs> Can you do sneak attack in your opponent's turn?
0: Uh, yes you can do it so, so the
1: dream is the dream All is right. obviously your opponent sneaks out Emrakul you sneak out this and say go is <laughs> <They're Emricle? laughs>
0: you're like nah this is mine and then you just have that <laughs> yeah well I mean it dies at end Oh turn it will die so sad. it's still
1: it's still pretty funny
0: um, brand maybe Flood of Tears is
1: four blue-blue, return all non-land permanents to their owner's hands. If you return four or more non-token permanents, you can put a permanent onto the battlefield. Uh, it's kind of like a bad upheaval mostly, but it might see play in some sort of omniscience decks that have giant fatties in them.
0: Please um, agree with this and send us in your list, because I want yeah. I want to hear about times where you bounce four non-land permanents, like a, you know, a mox and a lotus petal <coughs> and uh, some irrelevant stuff, and then just play a big... For the brand,
1: let's be honest what Sarve wants to hear is times you put Emrakul into play because that's always what Sarve wants to hear yeah number one number <laughs> <laughs> sure like uh, <laughs> yeah Brideborn Cutthroat one and a blue for a 2-1 with Flash whenever you cast a spell on your opponent's turn put a plus one plus one counter on it this seems pretty good in uh, Delvery Tempo-y blue-black or blue-red kind of decks um, solid uh, Dread Presence is three and a black for a 3-3 uh, whenever a Spomp Whenever a swamp enters the <laughs> battlefield under your control, choose one. Draw a card and lose one life, or deals two to any target, and you gain two.
0: Yeah, there's definitely you know mono black midrange, range, mono black control, call of duty, black obs. These kind of decks will just be happy to just chuck this yeah. out as a useful role player.
1: Oh, the next one is not a, play- a Highlander playable card at all. Don't don't do it. Um, but I want you to go and look up the art <laughs> of bloodthirsty aerialist. Um, are you looking at this, Sav?
0: Yeah, I'm looking. Oh, wait, it's upside down. It's
1: upside down. Uh, it took the me art so is long completely upside that. down. The, the candles are all going towards the ground. I don't know whether they intentionally put this upside down and are not very good at what they do, or they accidentally put this upside <laughs> down and are not very good at what they do. But, like, this art <clears> bothers <throat> me. Anyway, Dracuseth, more of flames. Uh, he's a 7 mana 7 7. Flyer, when it attacks, it deals four to a target, then three to another target, and then three to another target. Um, like this yeah, is pretty this good guy... to reanimate or sneak in,
0: I guess. Yep. Basically, you know, there's been so many of these big, batty red creature that goes, hey, I attack and I kill stuff and I burn and make the villagers. But this guy, Seth, let's call him Seth, uh, when, when Seth comes into play, he does the best of that, you know, killing three things practically and burning your opponent's face. But he's well, going when it attacks, in, like, yeah. When it attacks.
1: Uh, no, no. Yeah. Um, exactly. no Marauding Raptor is a weird one that I would like to see play, but I don't know where. So it's a red and one for a 2-3. All your creature spells cost one less. Uh, but when they enter the battlefield, it deals two to them. Um, and if it bites a dinosaur, it gets plus two, plus plus zero until end of turn. So I don't think this is... I don't
0: know. Well, one one interesting thing because we're talking about art is he Barney the purple dinosaur, but in a I realistic depiction of. <laughs> Sorry, is he? Is is he Barney the purple dinosaur? Because yeah, he's a bit of a purple he's, dinosaur. He's like, he's like purple. He's actually got the coloration of that character. Uh, is is that intentional? I'm maybe annoyed. maybe Wizards Arts not going that deep. There. Yeah, I, I,
1: I'm <laughs> lost I'm lost and I'm moving on uh, Manifold <laughs> Key, so it's, it's a one man artifact, uh, one tap, untap another target artifact, three tap, target creature can't be blocked this turn, you're mostly going to use this as your backup Voltaic Key it is slightly worse than Voltaic Key, it is slightly worse than Voltaic Key for combo purposes because it can't untap, untap itself and the Rings of Bright Hearth combo version of Academy really likes being able to Tap something that generates a pile of mana. Tap voltaic key to untap it. Copy that with rings of bright hearth to to untap both things and just go off that way. Um, So only being Mm -hmm. able to untap other artifacts is a pain in the ass. You still play it in those decks. You know, it goes with your two. Yeah, it's
0: why not.
1: This one's holding. Bag
0: of holding. (laughs) It's uh, obviously a sweet meme, but the uh, actual card is just yeah, it's just like a a one mana, so it's a trinket and whenever you discard a card, Exile it instead and it's got this kind of loot ability on it draw a discard card for 2-mana and tap and then you can 4-mana tap it and sacrifice it and return all those exiled cards back to your hand so it's got maximum flavour win but I think it's you know possibly combo specific could fit into some kind of combo deck again, I don't really know off the top of my head where it will fit but when I read it, I instantly thought ooh, yes, it's a trinket, it's cheap and a lot of the time, these kind of artifact decks like to cycle through their deck. Uh, you know, like the deck that you'd be imagining that Forge to be playing? A bunch of one minor artifacts. You play this one minor artifact, or, you know, you, you play it in a of Citadels type deck. It comes out, and then, and then later on, you're like, "Oh, I'm comboing off. Oh no, I've hit a roadblock. I'll tap this, and I'll loot, and then you get past that particular yeah. block. So I can see it in a combo deck somewhere. The last card also,
1: in... uh, j- just as a note to the listeners, you may be noticing that uh, Sav is not great at this Honourable Mentions only being one or two lines thing, but we'll move on.
0: <laughs> one sentence. Uh, <laughs> it's meant to be one sentence.
1: <laughs> uh, Icon of Anc- Ancestry, it's three mana. When it comes to play, you choose a creature type. Those creatures get plus one, plus one, and you can paste a mana and tap it to look at the top um, and get some creatures of that type into your hand. Uh, a creature of that type into your hand. So it might go well in something like elves or goblins or something which just wants more density of lords and ways to fetch your idiots.
0: Yeah, I assume elves is the only one because of the mana intensiveness of that last ability.
1: Um, Field of the Dead uh, I actually think is probably quite playable. It enters the battlefield tapped, it adds colourless, but whenever it or another land enters the battlefield under control, if you control seven or more lands with different names, so in Highlander, if you control seven or more lands for the most part, um, create a 2-2 black zombie creature token. This feels really good in Control mirrors specifically, or you know, some mid-range mirrors potentially, where you do expect to get to the point where you're playing your tenth or eleventh land. So, worth it, yeah. you know where else it
0: goes. Scape shift.
1: Yeah, it's true. <laughs> it's true. Uh, and the last one yeah. is Lotus Field, um, which Salve's note is this is not dramatically better than Lotus Veil. Vale. Uh, I direct him to the text hexproof. Um, <laughs> if you're playing a deck that plants untapped lands, comes into play tapped, but if you can get multiple taps out of it, it's very good. Um, definitely don't just put it in your average random deck because it's not very good in that circumstance. It's got the minor upside against Lotus Veil vale that you can sacrifice tapped lands, so if you've got something like a uh, City of Traders, you can eat it with its sacrifice trigger on the stack. Um, yeah, that was a lot of cards.
0: Wow, did we do that in one hour? So, so we, we did literally that went through in forty
1: cards. Almost exactly one hour. We did it in an hour and one minute. <laughs> That's okay. I'll trim
0: wow. a minute. Well, yeah. There's probably going to be some trimming. So at about this time point, the audience is looking at it, going, "Wait, but it's actually fifty-seven minutes or something like that." Um, but yeah, I mean, we we smashed out forty cards. Now, the the thing that I will sum up with at the end here is a reiteration of what we said at the beginning. I don't think in the early set reviews that we did on the Highlander cast, which would have been what would the first set have been maybe six sets ago? I can't remember exactly what set it was, um, but it was just over a year. Um, and whatever set so that was... Was it Hour of Devastation or something? something maybe, probably something along those lines. Whatever the, that set was, we were looking at something like... Mm-hmm. 10 cards and no honourable mentions and we went oh actually let's just chop out these three and make them an honourable mention i don't think we have much to talk about on that. and (laughs) we're looking at (laughs) we're looking at four times that amount that we had at the beginning uh in a core set this is a core set this is not the norm so yeah Uh, honestly in some ways
1: well yes and no in some ways i would like to get My Highlander playables, not quite so many at once because it makes it hard to uh, keep the format nice and balanced. But I think the good thing about this set is although there's a lot of playables, there's not a lot of, other than Scheming Symmetry, there's not a lot of real power spikes. So there's there's a heap of cards which are a little bit better than your previous option, or are roughly equivalent and maybe better sometimes and maybe worse sometimes. But you know, it's not one of those sets where you're like, oh, Narset, she just goes in, every deck that wants a three mana planeswalker because she's bonkers
0: <laughs> and I, li- I like how some of these cards are well actually almost all the cards are role players in specific decks as opposed yeah, to yeah that's you know yeah. hey this is now the blue staple you know this is this is going to be a card in you know every every blue deck it's nice to have them once in a while but yeah like you said, you don't want that all the time in, in every single set otherwise it's going to be really hard to balance uh, the format all right well that brings us to the end of the core 2020 set review I hope you've enjoyed. If you have enjoyed listening to our dulcet tones on the podcast, feel free to become a financial supporter of the podcast, which is becoming a patron. If you become a patron, you can chuck us a dollar every episode or, you know, a cup of coffee every episode. We don't mind, we're not fussy. And that'll go to making my audio quality actually good, because right now it is terrible. As you know, I have uh, moved to a different computer, and uh, my audio quality is, is relatively local. So we are trying to save up to get a microphone to improve the quality of the podcast for you, the listeners. Uh, other than that, the show will always be free, so you don't have to worry about that. We'll always be bringing you some sweet, sweet content every two weeks. Uh, you can listen to us via other media, i.e. the written media with your eyeballs. You can check out Twitter, uh, where we are uh, something or other, cast. That's us, right? <laughs> we are HighlanderCast on Twitter, and Vance is at VanceyEmotions on Twitter. Uh, I'm not on Twitter. As you can tell, I don't know what, <laughs> what to do with Twitter. So uh, you can join our Facebook. Facebook is 7 Point Highlander for the actual Highlander discussions, but if you want to join the podcast Highlander, it is uh, HighlanderCast, 7 Point HighlanderCast, right? Basically, you search these things, they're going to come up. Uh, and there's always. It's HighlanderCast everywhere. Yeah, Highlander cards. See, it's taken me about a year and a half to learn this, and I still don't know it. Uh, the viewers probably know it a lot better. We should really write these out. You know, Millie was so good to us, uh, being so organised. <laughs> um, the last thing to note is uh, the Discord. The Discord is right in front of me. I will let you know what it is. It, it is high seven point Highlander. And that you can uh, talk about all the various things in Highlander on Discord, or you can check out the actual Highlander uh, cast room—is that what you call it? Forum. For there are multiple fora within Discord. We are some form of room in there called Highlander. All right, cast. this take taking too long. Come on, <laughs> chop chop. <laughs> that brings us to the end. All we have left to say is thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you in a fortnight.